How many of you here were blessed by Pastor Chris Ho's uh, sermon last week? Can you give it a show of hands? Right, yeah, we can clap, we can clap, even though he's not here today. <laughs> right, I, I was blessed too. You know, Pastor Chris Ho, he said in his sermon that his uh, love language is, is words, right? So he'll be very encouraged uh, if you drop him you know, uh, an encouragement to say, yeah, I've been blessed by your, your sermon. But for me, my love language is, is not words, uh, so don't need to tell me, uh, don't need to encourage me, it's okay. <laughs> my, my love language actually is uh, quality time, uh. And, but nowadays, I also don't have a lot of time. And my version of quality time is like, must spend a lot of time on. So you can see, actually, I'm very, quite, quite difficult to please. Uh. So you can uh, empathize with my wife. Uh, be, she's behind over there. And I want to appreciate her and thank her. Uh, because last week, um, my son Judah was sick. And uh, so he couldn't be here. And my wife also can't be here. So she was at home taking care of Judah. And so they can only join the service online. So because last week's sermon was so good, right? At the 8.30 service... Then halfway through, I texted my wife. I said, hey, Joy, like, the sermon is very good, you know. You must, you must watch together with Daddy and Mommy so that they can listen also. You know, my father and mother-in-law, they are not believers. Right? But one of the blessings that came with my son Judah is that through him, both of them got a little bit more exposure to the faith. You know, like when Joy and Judah were joining the service online last week, Joy deliberately turned up the volume, you know, and they asked them to sit with her to watch. And you know, Many times when we hear somebody share like this, something like that over the pulpit, you'll be almost expecting that you'll end up with how their loved ones, you know, receive Christ at the end. But for our case, actually, nothing much happened for them. You know, after that, I went home, I asked uh, my wife, I said, hey, did daddy and mommy say anything? They said, oh, no, leh, nothing, you know, never, never really comment or express any interest. No, but I want to encourage all of us here today, right? Especially those of us who are still sowing and not yet seeing fruit. Right, don't give up. Right, press on. Because Joy and I, we are also in the same situation as you, right? So are you okay, everybody? And I believe that God is still working, you know, in the, our loved ones' hearts, even though it may not be visible to our human eyes right now. And I always find encouragement from the scripture, which we are focusing on today in Galatians 6 9. It says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. But let us read the fuller context of the scripture today, right? Shall we? Uh, let's read it together. It's on the screen. One, two, three. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season... We shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Right, let us pray. Father God, we want to just pray to you right now here as we read and meditate your word today. We ask that you encourage us in the spirit and give us the grace and strength to live out your word fully in our lives. Right? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, so today's sermon, we will focus on the keywords in Paul's encouragement for the church to persevere in doing good and consider the following questions. Right, first question, what makes us grow weary and give up? Right, second, how should we do good? How should we sow? Right, and the third one, what can we reap? Now, my late grandmother-in-law spoke primarily Cantonese and when we have family gatherings, Joy will always uh, arrow me to go and talk to her because uh, I can speak broken Cantonese. And my broken Cantonese is the most fluent Cantonese in the family among the younger generation. 
So when I talk to her, I will usually try to initiate a spiritual conversation and end with encouraging her to pray to Jesus. No, she's not a believer. And many times when we talk about Jesus, she'll say, Ah, oh, good, good, right? All religion teach you to do good things. No religion will teach you to do bad one. Right? Sounds familiar? Because uh, I think the truth is, you don't need to be a Christian to do good. And these are the thoughts that many pre-believers have as well. Anyone can do good. And what is doing good? Right? The phrase itself doesn't refer to anything specific. Right? The dictionary definition is to act virtuously, uh, especially by helping others or to make a helpful contribution to a situation. So it is no surprise that most people will equate doing good with helping people, and very common, they also associate it with doing charity work. Now, right, how is it different for Christians? Now, I would say that the doing is pretty much the same, but the purpose of doing is different. Right? When believers do good, it should be for the purpose of glorifying God. Right, Matthew 5.16 says, right, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory right, to your Father who is in heaven. So the purpose for our good works is to bring glory to God. And why would our good works bring glory to God? Right, let's take, take a look at uh, two more verses that Paul wrote in his letters. Right, in Ephesians 2.10 it says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, right, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Right, so from, from these verses, we can see that our good works are not exactly our own, right? Our good works is already what God prepared us to do, and it is Him who works in us to do them as well. So as believers, God is actually already working in our hearts, shaping our desires, and sometimes nudging us right, to go, do that good thing. And when we act them out, it is a reflection of God working in us. Right? Hence, when we do good works from a place of love, we glorify God. So in the passage we just read that so in the passage we just read, the doing good is not just about helping people or doing charity, right? But it's about having God and his glory in mind, even as we are doing these things. So I don't mean that we have to say all the time or tell people, oh, you know, God is uh, doing this in me. Right? But as far as possible, we should constantly and prayerfully think about what God is doing even as we carry out the works. So the title of the sermon today is Let Us Not Grow Weary While Doing Good. And these words of Paul right, were intended to encourage the church. And in those words, he has, he's actually drawing a connection right, between doing good and growing weary. Paul knows we can get tired from doing good. Right, so let's think about it, right? What tires us out when we do good? You think about it. What, what makes you tired? I, I think the question kind of answers itself. Because doing good itself can tire us out. Right? Doing good can be tiring, and it is usually tiring. You know the ushers who serve us every week, right? They are doing good for the church, but they also have to wake up earlier to come. It can be tiring, especially also, you know, the egg station. Sometimes we, we, we don't mention them, but... They are there every week as well. Sometimes it's the same few people, right? And it is tiring because they have to wake up earlier. And the musicians who play on stage, they may need to spend time earlier in the week, you know, to familiarize themselves with the songs, practice in their free time, and then they come together to rehearse. And all these take time and energy, right? And I think uh, I recall, you know, a few weeks ago, right, uh, I actually informed this group to come and do hospitality duty. I told them the wrong timing, you know. Actually, they are supposed to come at 10.30, 
uh, but I told them to come at 8.30. So they were here at 8.30, and there were two teams at 8.30, right? And then, uh, actually, of course, they, they, they cannot do anything because uh, there was already a team that's scheduled to do that. And I know it takes a lot of effort because, actually, they don't usually come for that service timing. So to be there to do that duty, they actually have to make arrangements for their kids, their children, all the different commitments to come. And when they come, because of my mistake, uh, I'm so sorry uh, if you are here today, right? Because of my mistake, they come and then, for, in a sense, for nothing, you know? Uh, and uh, a few of them said that since I'm here, I'll stay all the way until 10.30 to do that, right? Some of them can't because they already have got uh, arrangements, right? So to, to do that takes time, energy, and sometimes uh, it, it might take a lot of time that is out of your expectation, right? So doing good takes time and energy. Even when you take the initiative to reach out to your colleagues, right? It takes effort and it sometimes it's stressful because you've got to think through, you know, what to say, spend time to pray, and the interaction itself with a colleague is tiring, even though you are more than willing and happy to do it. And also during COVID, I was reaching out to this man who just came out of prison. He came to our church for financial assistance. And in the process, I shared with him the gospel, and he seemed receptive and was open to meeting up. So I tried to meet him quite regularly to share with him about God. So throughout that time, I probably met him somewhere between 10 to 20 times. And I can tell you that he's usually late most of the time. Right? And uh, late by quite a, a substantial period of time. And he sometimes he won't even turn up at all. Right? And I can be like, you know, no sound, no picture until several hours past the meeting time. Then he will say, oh, sorry, I overslept. Or today cannot m- make it. You know, and I think this is not uncommon in, in our experience. I'm not telling us to be pessimistic, but we've got to expect that things like that will happen. Right? And when it happens, don't lose heart, don't grow weary. You know, every time I arrange a meeting with this person, yeah, so I have to block out an extra one to two hours on top of the time that I meet him. So if I plan to meet him from, let's say, 10 a.m. to 12, then my next appointment, I'll schedule it earliest at, at 2. So because if it's late, right, then everything, you know, will snowball, you'll overrun. So that's, that's why I, I, I have that buffer. But at the same time, if he, you know, fly me aeroplane, uh, then, then I will waste half my day because I blocked out such a long time for him. And all these scenarios that I've described, they have all happened before. You know, and when it happens, uh, it can feel very sian, right? Uh? Like it makes you physically tired, mentally tired, and you can be very discouraged. It's like, ah, yeah, what for I do all these things, and then this person is not appreciative. Right? So this act of doing good and reaching out actually requires us to give of our physical selves. Right? You may not get tired by just doing one thing, but the more you give, the more tired you will be. And that's the constraint of the human body and the price of giving. So we can get tired from doing good because doing good is giving of ourselves. Right? And at the same time, we can also get tired of doing good. Right? It's not just about being drained and physically tired because when you meet the obstacles again and again, you may come to a point where you get so sick of it right, that you are discouraged and you want to give up. So it is a point where you kind of lose your sense of purpose in it already. You know, how, how many of you hate running here? See how many of you can be honest early in the morning. How many of you hate running? So only a few of you hate running here. So this is a very healthy church here. Even if you hate running, right, I think so long as you decide to run, I don't think any of you will stop running altogether the first instance you feel tired, right? You may feel the strain for a while and then you'll continue. But after a period of time, then you decide that like, oh, it's really too tiring and then you cannot think already. 
and then you forget why you run in the first place. Uh, that's when you give up because it seems pointless already. So we can get tired of doing good when we lose sight of the purpose. And in response, Paul's encouragement is that don't grow weary, don't lose heart, don't t- get tired from doing good, and don't get tired of doing good. Right, because, right, because you will reap in due season. Right? That is the encouragement. You will reap. There is going to be fruit. Right? There is going to be results. You are not laboring in vain. You know, when I was in the army, I always failed my 2.4. And sometimes, you know, they try to help the pe- those people who fail. Uh, they'll get pacers to run with them. And I remember my pacer beside me will always uh, say, Hey, hurry up, run faster, don't stop, just keep going. Actually, all these things that you say is no use, one. Because uh, when your body is tight, all these things, right, just become very irritating. Uh. So actually, sometimes the more you say, then the more I want to give up. Okay, okay, I give up, give up, I cannot already, you know. <laughs> I just stop altogether. And uh, there are some days... On the other hand, where I'm more particularly motivated to run. You know why? It's because that day can book out. If they say you pass, then you get nights off. Well, that really usually incentivizes me. It doesn't mean that I will always pass, but I will be much more motivated. Because if there is no nights off, then pass or don't pass, you also stay in camp. So no incentive, no fruit, no result that I can look forward to. But if you can book out, that's different. Right, there is now a result that I desire and I want. So Paul knows that the church can grow weary and lose heart while doing good. And Paul's encouragement is that we will reap. Right, we will reap. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, you will reap? If it's meant to be an encouragement, right, then you have to say it in a way that's encouraging, right? <laughs> you will reap. Can you say that again to your neighbor? Right, do you believe that? Right, are you comfortable with it? Because some people think that right, if you do good and then you expect a result, then it is not good. Right? Doing good should just be an end in itself. Just do good. Right? Don't think about the results. But I would like to suggest to us that the Bible doesn't teach us that. Well, it is selfish to do good for your own selfish personal gain. Right? Because if I help you and I, because I, I know you can give me something in return, that is very transactional. Right? That is selfish. But it is not selfish to do good so that everyone gains. Right? God's principle is that when we do good, everyone gains. Both the people who do good too and the people who perform the good works, they all gain and they all reap. Right, let's take a look at the text again today. Right? Verses 7 to 8. Right, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life from the Spirit. Right, so to begin, if you want to reap, right, you, tell, you told your neighbors, right, you will reap. If you want to reap, then you first need to sow. And the verse here tells us that actually how you sow matters. Right, so I want to spend a bit of time to talk about that. Verse 7 says we reap what, what we sow. Right, that is a general principle that non-Christians also know. Right, but Paul brings up this universal principle to illustrate a spiritual principle. And the verse begins with, do not be deceived. Right, God is not mocked. Why would God be mocked when we talk about sowing? If I read the verse in the context of today's passage, I think it is talking about the manner of how we sow, right? Or how we do good. There is a way in which we sow and do good that is sowing to the Spirit. And there is a way in which we sow and do good that is sowing to the flesh. Right? If that is the case, then it seems to me that the mockery is when we sow to the flesh and we expect that we will reap in the Spirit. Right? It's bringing our good works to the Lord. 
thinking that we can, you know, extort something or cheat him, bluff him. Paul says that is mocking God and we should not be deceived. Right? These are serious words. For if you sow to your flesh, you'll reap corruption from the flesh. Right? In 1 Samuel 15, God sent King Saul through the prophet Samuel to utterly destroy the Amalekites. We know this story. That's the work that God sent him to do. So Paul, Saul went to did the work, but he kept the best part of the loot for himself. You know, I've not gone to battle before, but I suppose a battle that involves 210,000 soldiers, as the text says, right? it must be something massive. You know, just to organize the battle, all the people there going into the battle, fighting, it must have taken great amount of time, energy, and effort, even though it was quickly described in a few sentences. So with all that Saul put in to do the work, right, that this sowing, surely it must mean something to the Lord, right? Even if it's not A, maybe you can pass uh, like C. Right? But in 1 Samuel 15, 11, God says that Samuel, Saul had turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. Right? Even though he probably executed 90% of the task list, it is a fail. God says he has not carried out his commands. All of his efforts is nothing in God's eyes. You know, was God too harsh? You know, I don't think so because Samuel later on said that it is not that God is kick out. He's not, it's not that he died, you know, one soul to give him the full amount of sacrifices, then he's satisfied. It is because of his heart, right? It is the heart that he was doing those things. Saul was deceitful to God and he was sowing in the flesh, yet he's thinking that he can still reap in the spirit, right? That is, as our text says, making a mockery of God. And in the New Testament, we can see a similar example in Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. They sold the land, they lied about how much they got out of it, even though they probably gave most of it to the church. So it's a similar situation. God is not mocked by them trying to put up a semblance of being pious when they were deceitful towards Him. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 3 says that, if I gave away all my possessions, if I let my body be burnt, right, I, but do I, I do not have love, I gain nothing. Right, so giving away all his possessions, giving up his body to be burnt, these are, I suppose, doing good works. Right, but Paul says if he does all these good works but do not have love, right, he gains nothing. Right, hence, you can see there is a way of doing good work that is not profitable. And this includes doing good works based on fleshly motivations like you want to impress someone or because you don't want to lose out or because you want to win some favours right, through that good work that you are doing. Such sowing will gain us nothing. Right, therefore, how we sow matters. But my intention here is not to tell you to sow less. It's not to tell you, oh, I must be very scared to sow, you know. But it's to tell you to be mindful and to be prayerful when we sow because we are all work in progress. Right, none of us are like, you know, that 100% fixed on God all the time. Right, so there are times where we struggle. We will struggle with things like being lazy. We will struggle with things like, oh, we feel like grumbling and complaining. God knows all these things. And it is okay to sow with these imperfections. Right? But it is not the same as the well, willful rebellion in the earlier examples that I cited. Right? So how do we sow in the Spirit then? That is the main thing why I'm trying to draw out this thing. Right? Is that we need to consider not just sowing, but how we should sow. Right? We should not sow it to the flesh, then we should sow in the Spirit. Right? How should we sow in the Spirit? Because Paul says that if you do work, good works without love, you gain nothing because you're not sowing in the Spirit. So the converse of that, the flip side of that, is that if you do good works out of love, you sow in the Spirit. 
Right? So sowing in the Spirit is sowing in love. It's not just about what we do, but how we do it. And if we do good works out of love, we glorify God. Right? Hence, we sow in the Spirit by doing good works out of God's love for God's glory. And our passage today tells us concretely two ways in which you can do good works out of love, right? Through the two, let us, right? In the verse 9 and 10, you can see on the screen. So we are to sow in love and there are two ways we can do that. So the first way it says, first is to persevere in doing good, right? Do good work without and not get weary. So do, to persevere. Second one is to do good to all, especially those in the family of faith, right? It's an expression of love when we press on to do good even when we feel discouraged, because I'm sure all the parents here, they can attest to that, right? They have all loved in this way before. There are times where they feel tired, but they press on. And as children, we probably all witness that as well, right? Because when we see our parents tired and they continue to give to us, we feel that, oh yeah, that must be out of love. So there's one way in which we can concretely add out our love, is to continue doing good in spite of our tiredness. But the second concrete way that Paul recommended us was, was to do good to all, especially to believers. Right? There are many places in the Bible that tell us to do good to all, but this is one of the few places that emphasize doing good, particularly to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So I'm not sure if you have ever wondered why Paul added this especially phrase here. You guys heard of MLM? Do you know what MLM is? It stands for multi-level marketing, if you are not sure. Right? Uh, I used to have a friend who was uh, working for an MLM company, and he was trying to recruit me to sell their product. So when he was talking to me, he said, okay, you just pay this amount, right? you can be a member, you pay a premium, right? you b- become a premium member. And, uh, and I was like, oh, this is a lot of money. Uh. I cannot, I cannot, I don't want to do this. Uh. And he was like, don't worry, don't worry, right? it's okay one, uh, because you will earn back all this money, and you earn back many times more. Because all you need to do right, is to... Uh, Call your friends, right? You have all oh, this number of friends, right? You ask them, right? And they come. When they come and buy, they'll ask their friends to buy also. And then it'll be like a multiplier effect. After that, you don't need to do anything. You'll get a cut from everything that people earn and buy. So it's like, oh, okay. Uh, what are they buying then? Then he said, hey, don't worry about this, man. Don't worry, right? It doesn't matter what product is. What we got, uh, whether it's mattress, la, perfume, essential oil, it doesn't matter. The product doesn't matter, one, right? Don't use also, never mind. As long as they bring people and they keep on bringing people, this thing will work. Right? It's quite strange, right? Because the product is not important. So if you consider back to us, right? When we invite our loved ones, our friends, our family to, come to, to church, right, what are they coming for? Or in a certain sense, what product are we hoping that they see? What happens even after they come and they decide to follow Jesus? What are they supposed to, to do? What's next for them? Are they just going to continue to bring friends so they just continue inviting friends and their friends will bring friends? So if you repeat this cycle, how is this different from MLM? Right, the key difference here is our product. Right? Our product, so to speak, is God's love. When people come, we want them to experience the genuine community of love. Right? That is the thing that they are coming for. Our love has to be genuine and not based on an agenda just to get people in. And what draws people and make people come cannot be our invitations or trickery or coercions, right? But it has to be our love for one another, right? Exactly as Jesus says, by our love, people will see who Jesus is. So our love is a reflection of God's love. Our work is an extension of God's work. And I believe that that's the motivation behind Paul's emphasis on doing good to the household of believers, 
Right? He's saying, do good to all, reach out, but never neglect doing good to one another. Right? Don't forget to love the people here just because you want to bring the people outside. Right? So we have to sow in the Spirit, and sowing in the Spirit is to sow in love in two concrete ways. First thing is to persevere in doing good. Second thing is to do good to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So if I paraphrase the second one, I would say it means right, to be an authentic place of love. Because if you are actually doing good to one another within the family, then that is authentic. You're not doing it just to get somebody in. Right, so the practical application for today here is, right, can you find a brother and sister in Christ this week, this upcoming week, and then you bless them? Can you all do that? A challenge for yourself, a practical application. Right, and also for some of us, if you find that reaching out or sharing with your friends and uh, co- colleagues is very difficult to do, Maybe you start with your existing brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Doing good to them, maybe bless them, buy them lunch, or send a, a text of encouragement. Start there. Maybe from there, you get that practice of showing love. It might be more easy, you know, to do that to a person that you don't know as well. Right, so for our final question today, the question is, what can we reap from the Spirit? So I would like to suggest to ask three fruits that we can reap. Right, in Mark 10, 28-30, Jesus says that everyone who left all to follow Him will receive a hundredfold this lifetime, and in the coming age, eternal life. Right, so what is saying here that we will receive and we will reap, both in this lifetime and also the coming age? Right, our passage in Galatians 6, 8 says that if we sow to the Spirit, we will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So that is the first fruit. Right, that is our reward in the coming age. But just to be extra clear here, right? So Paul is not saying that you need to use your good works so that you can earn eternal life. It's not that, right? Because salvation cannot be earned. If you read the earlier chapters in Galatians, you'll see that much of the book is devoted to demolishing this idea. Right? You can take a quick look at the summary that I've put up for you on the screen. Basically, the earlier chapter just says that Christ has set us free. Our works cannot save us. So if we live by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we live by the Spirit, we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. And therefore, in, verse, uh, in chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, it says, Therefore, we should sow in the Spirit because we will reap the reward of eternal life. You can take some time to digest that, that, that whole line of thought. Right? If we follow that, then when Paul says to sow and reap eternal life from the Spirit, we can understand that he's actually reminding and encouraging us to sow because we are going to reap the eternal reward as believers. He's not laying down the conditions for the reward, but reminding us of the reward that we are going to get. There is a future reward. But we also reap in this lifetime. So what is this in this lifetime where they said to be worth a hundredfold more than what we sow? You know, the economics doesn't seem to add up. Right? In what universe can you get a hundredfold return of investment? Maybe crypto, but you know, also crash, right? So if you think in human terms, it can never add up. If, like, if I spend, you know, two hours to serve in, in, in church, can I get back 200 hours elsewhere? Is somebody going to give me 200 hours so I can watch Netflix at home? Right? It doesn't really add up. And uh, because these are worldly material things and God's return to us is not these. These things will eventually pass. And God's return of investment to us that is hundredfold or in fact infinitefold because He gives what He gives will not pass away. What is this thing that he gives that will not fade away? 
right? In a, in a chapter that we just read earlier, in Galatians 5.22, right, that is where you can find the second fruit, where right? it is the fruit of the Spirit. And there's no surprise that Paul uses the same metaphorical language of farming, right? Sowing, reaping, harvesting fruit. He uses these words to help us better see the connection here. When we sow in the Spirit, right, we reap the fruit, right? The fruit of joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And all these will not fade away. And these are immeasurable spiritual gifts within us that is our reward. And this fruit that we reap now will build us toward eternal life. So as we reap more and more of the fruit of the Spirit, right, it builds us up towards the perfection in eternal life. And that is what, in theological terms, is called sanctification. So when you look at these two rewards, eternal life and fruit of the Spirit, do they serve as enough motivation for us? Is it a good enough reward? You know the government always gives a cash incentive of a few hundred dollars to NS men right, who pass and do well at their IPPT. But to some people, right, they, they still fail right, because the cash incentive is not motivating enough. So they don't train. They, they, don't, they don't bother whether they pass or fail because the reward is just not a powerful enough motivation. So sometimes we may forget that the eternal life and the fruit of the Spirit are such invaluable gifts. Right? We kind of maybe take it for granted. It's like, okay, Lord, yeah, we are saved. Or we, okay, we have the fruit of the Spirit. You don't get very excited about it. You don't feel that it's anything special. You know, near my house last time, uh, there is this uh, laksa that is very nice that I always eat since young. So every time, every week or so, I'll eat this laksa. Uh, I thought it's, uh, uh, to me, it is okay, la, just normal, right? But every time my friends who, who come near my place, they say, oh, yo, yo, you stay here, there's this very good laksa there, right? I'm like, yeah, la, it's, it's okay, la, it's okay, you know? <laughs> because I, I am I'm used to eating it. But when I eat the laksa somewhere else, uh, then I realize, oh, really? Uh, what? My laksa near my house is really good. Uh? This, all the laksa elsewhere, like, cannot make it, uh. So only when I have the comparison, then I know. Because I already take it for granted. I'm so used to the taste already. Uh, then I think like every time I eat, it's just like I can eat, then maybe do my thing at the same time or gobble up quickly, don't think too much about it, and I forget that actually it is good. If we forget how precious eternal life and the fruit of the Spirit is, how much of a treasure it is to us, it will be difficult to sow in love because we lack the right motivation, we lack the reward that is meant to encourage us. You know, then what are we to do? Right? If today, the gift of eternal life, the gift of the Spirit, is not any, something that is attractive to you right now, what can we do? I don't think there is any magic formula. So, for the laksa, when I became more appreciative, then I, when I eat, I, I eat slowly. Yeah. I like, wow, oh, the laksa gravy is actually good, man. Right? Inside there, the, the heavy uh, the proportion is just nice. The coconut milk is just nice. Uh, the hum here, they never overcooked it, right? Everything is just nice. So I take time to enjoy. Then after that, I feel satisfied. Ah, actually, I'm eating a very good bowl of laksa. So I think in our spiritual life, it's also the same thing. Right? If you have taken your gift of eternal life, if you have taken the fruit of the Spirit for, for granted, I suggest that we can take time off right, to spend with the Lord, right, dig into the Word, read, pray, right, and then ask God, can you restore to us this joy right, and uh, to, 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 to open up our senses and our taste again, renew our taste again 
so that we can savor these good things from the Lord. And the more we savor this, the more we will find motivation to sow. Right, last but not least, the third fruit we can reap is the joy of salvation. Right, in the first two fruits, right, we reap the benefits for ourselves. Right, but this third one, we are reaping the joy of seeing someone's soul saved. Right, while there's benefit to be reaped for ourselves as we sow, that's not the primary reason why we sow, right? Because we sow for the person that we are reaching out to. They benefit, but their joy becomes our joy as well. Right, my son Judah's birthday just passed uh, some time back. And on his birthday, Joy and I, we took leave to celebrate for him. So when we are planning, we want to you know, think about, oh, where can we bring him that he will enjoy himself? Right? Uh, we want to bring him to a place where he can enjoy it. And we can't ask him because he's only one year old, so he can't tell us where he wants to go. So we need to discuss. So I was like, hey, maybe if you go to the zoo, because he seemed to like animals. Then Joy was like, maybe you should bring to the bird park because he likes birds. Then I'm like, mm, maybe not, because he only likes pigeon and minor. Then uh, in, a, in a bird park, there's two exotic animals down there. He may not see, know that they are birds. Right? So we are discussing all these things. And the point of that is to, we want to bring him to the place that actually he will enjoy. Right? It's not for ourselves. Because it is for me, I will go to Gardens by the Bay. Because got aircon there. Right? So when we, when we sow, when we try to do acts of love, it's for the person. But when the person enjoyed himself, when Judah enjoyed himself at the zoo, right, we also enjoyed ourselves because his joy became our joy right so likewise for all of us we experience that right when we enjoy ourselves when we celebrate somebody else's birthday right their joy becomes our joy and my late grandmother-in-law whom i who have shared with many times as i shared earlier she never accepted christ you know i think i've made it a point to remind her that she can always call out to jesus if there is ever a time she needs help and to this day, that's the only hope that I can have, right? That in her struggle and difficulty in the last phase of her life when she was struggling with COVID alone in a nursing home, I, was, I can only hope that at that time, she did call out to Jesus. I hope she did, right? But it's something that I will never know. And when she passed away because of COVID, I asked myself a number of times, you know, have I done enough? I, I think the answer is no. You know, but my friends today, right, all of you here, right, I want to tell you that actually we can all never do enough. What can you ever do that is enough to bring about the salvation of a soul? Right, it's really nothing. Only God can do enough. If there is a list of things that you can do to effect salvation, then salvation is by works and not no longer by grace. So today I want to encourage us to have faith and believe. Right, do you believe that you can reap? I may not have reaped in this instance, or maybe I have, I don't know. But we can indeed reap the salvation of souls because Jesus has said in the gospel that the harvest is plentiful. Right, we know that. It tells us that there's indeed fruit to be reaped. There are souls that are ready to be saved, but the souls may not be the ones that we are currently reaching out to. You know, sometimes we have a disconnect with the word, right? We, we know that the harvest is plentiful. But when we reach out to this person... He's not receiving. So to us, there is a disconnect. The word no longer stays in us. We forget it. Right? But if we want to let the word remain in us, we've got to have faith and continue to believe and change the way that we look at things so that it's aligned to the word of God. Right? The word of God says that the harvest is plentiful. That means there are people out there who want to receive Jesus. If the person that you're reaching out to is not receiving Jesus, then I suppose the reasonable thing to do is that we need to sow somewhere else. We need to sow wider. 
Because if the word is true, then there is always fruit out there. And our idea of sowing, right, it's not about working very hard in one, although that's good. It should not be restricted to the few individuals that we have self-selected, but it should be widened to the many other people around us. You know, when I was in school, my CCA was Scouts, right? And in Scouts every year, there's a fundraising event called uh, Job Week. Some of you might know. And it was a major event for us because we all try to compete and uh, see who can earn the most. And it's very interesting because at the end of the day, you'll see people coming in, right, with earnings ranging from, got people come and earn $3, uh, $3 to several hundreds, right, to the whole, and it's the whole day, you know, morning you come 8 o'clock, you, you report back at maybe 6 p.m., and then that's the amount they earn. If you think about it, right, how can you earn like a single digit, like $3 a day? Because if you ask a few people, most likely the amount would exceed it. So I think, right, it's only possible if this person give up halfway. Right? It's either fear or you give up. If you are so fearful that you don't even do anything, you are crippled, then, right, I, I think that's possible. The next possibility there is you give up very fast. Right? He probably went to the, a few people and then they rejected him and after that, he's like, oh, I'm like, so discouraged, sin already, and he gave up. Right, but how do some people earn you know, as much as several hundred dollars a day? I noticed that the people who do very well in this are consistently the same few people every year in sec 1, sec 2, sec 3, sec 4. And when I talk to them, they all have this one thing in common. They basically just keep on approaching people non-stop. Because the rationale is that they know that there will always be people who will give. Right? If this person don't give, the next person may give. The next person doesn't give, it's very likely that somehow they will hit a person who will give very soon. So, they just keep on moving and keep sowing and eventually those that kept sowing earn the biggest reward. And that's why I think in verse 10, Paul says, do good to all, right? Do good to all, not just some. We might get tired from reaching out to some, but don't stop there. Do good to all. So this job week story is, of course, a very imperfect analogy, right? Human souls are a lot more complex, and we cannot do it in a very mechanical way. You cannot just go down, <laughs> go down the line and uh, share. But the point is that if people can reap, right? These people, these kids, students back then, can reap what they sow with their own strength, how much more can we reap and sow in the kingdom of God when we are carrying out the work that is on God's heart and on His promise? I believe Paul's encouragement that we will reap also comes from his personal experience in this very area. Right? Not everyone that Paul shares with received Christ. I'm not surprised if he actually received more rejections than salvations because he is persecuted so many times and he has been to so many places. But he's able to say, he's still able to say, you will reap in due season because his personal experience is indeed such. And the Word of God also testifies to that. So to sum up today's sermon, you can look at the three questions on the screen again. Right, we can sometimes grow weary and feel like giving up because we can get tired from doing good and we can get tired of doing good. But we should not give up because we need to persevere to sow in the Spirit, doing good to all, especially to the family of believers. Right, and as we do that, Paul's encouragement is that we will reap. Right, and we will reap for ourselves three things. The first is in the future, eternal life. The second is in the present age, the fruit of the Spirit. And third is the joy of salvation of others. If we continue to sow and sow widely like Paul did. Now, while we cannot effect the salvation of others by our sowing, we can reach out wider to seek other souls that may be ready to receive. You know, sometimes, while we know we will reap, right? The Word of God says we will reap 
No, I'm telling you guys, you'll read, you'll say, okay, we'll read. Okay, can you tell me when? Right, we still feel a bit jittery and impatient once in a while. We wonder, where will they come? Right, the passage today here says, in due season. Right, some translations say, in harvest time, or in due time. Right, the Greek word, in the original language, the Greek word here is kairos. Most of us know this word. It means actually, literally, an appointed time. So when will we reap? We will reap at an appointed time. See, it doesn't tell us exactly when. Right? That's the nature of Kairos, actually. It's an appointed time that's within God's perfect time, and it will be a mystery to us. It's meant to be a mystery to us. And it feels as though Paul knows that we need some help to grapple with this mystery. So he uses the same word, Kairos, again, in the next verse, to say that while we have the opportunity, while we still have Kairos, or while we are still in this Kairos time ourselves, let us do good to all. So it is like, you may wonder when the appointed time to read is, but the appointed time for you now is to do good to all. So the appointed time to read is our promised hope. Right? But the appointed time to sow is now. So my friends today, as the musicians play, as we sing this response song, I want us to you know, come to God today, respond to Him. Let's give our full attention to Him, right, lean in on Him so that we can allow His love to be our love and His work to come forth as our works to bear fruit. You know, I want to speak to uh, two groups of people today. The first are those who are tired and weary and you don't feel like giving anymore. You give until you're very tired already. Right, if that's you, or as you sing the song and worship, or let the Lord minister to you, and if you want somebody to pray with you, do come forward, right? and we want to encourage one another in Christ. And the second group of people are those who have never reaped the joy of salvation before. You have heard many stories of people receiving Christ and their friends feeling happy for them, but you have not experienced it personally. So if that's you, and you want to be prayed for, I encourage you to come to the front. Right? And then we want to pray for the empowerment for you and the faith to believe that it can happen to you as well. Why shall we rise to worship the Lord? I just want to encourage you guys 
today, if there is somebody that God has placed in your heart that you have been reaching out to, and you don't know what to do, let's take this time to pray for this person, shall we? All of us, I am sure there are people like that in our minds. But as you pray, Lord, we want to pray to, to the Lord, and we want to pray that the God will, that, that the Lord of Harvest will bring the fruit, because we just need to abide in Him. We just need to lean in on Him. We just need to fix our eyes on Him. Let's just worship Him again. Continue to worship Him. Let's lift our voices to the Lord, right? Yes, keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord. Please root my heart so deep in you. Keep me abiding. Yes, Lord. Keep me abiding. Keep me abiding that I will bear fruit. Yes. Father God, you see all these hearts here today and you know all these names that we have been praying. And Lord, we're going to pray, God, that you touch the hearts of these people right now. And in this coming week, Lord, as we try to apply our word, as we try to sow and give of ourselves, Lord, would you just let your love come forth in us and let our work be your good work, Lord. And for all of us here, some of us here who are feeling tired from doing that, Lord, I pray, God, that you recharge us, Lord, that you fill us with your refreshing spirit, Lord. And Lord, we pray, God, that as we do this, you renew our taste in you. We will taste that the Lord is good. Amen? We want to be able to taste that the Lord is good again in our own personal lives and we want to help other people to be able to savor that truth. So Lord, we want to commit everyone here into your hands. Right? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, so this is now over. We'll see you next week. And if you need any prayer, you can come forward to the front as well.